Good evening, everybody. This is November 12th of 2018. Um, this is the seventh call out of 12 in a series that we've been talking about building relationships and positive communication. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about how um, connectors or great communicators connect on common ground. Okay. By far one of my, um, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite topic to talk about, but it's definitely something I think about with nearly every single interaction I have. So it's extremely important. Um, and it's definitely a skill that you can learn. Um, even if you don't know this kind of naturally or it's not a quote-unquote normal part of your life, it's definitely something that you can learn. Okay. Um, so, first of all, let's just check in with your homework from last week. Um, where did you increase your skills? One-on-one, -on -one, small group, audience? Did you learn something about yourself? Did you learn something about other people? Now, I, just remember, you know, it's really great to come on these calls and, and to hear information. Um, but information isn't this program, okay? The program really is giving you some information so you can go and practice the homework, okay? The program is really the homework. I know some people, they really like to do, um, you know, self-help programs and, and learn a lot of information, um, and that's great, and info is good, but that's only getting to about 10% of our brain. Okay? If we really want to learn and get this in us, we gotta practice it. Okay? Alright, well if you haven't already done so, go ahead and pull out that workbook and um, go to your pre-call question now. I believe it says, um, it, it's asking you, what is the one thing you need to see or notice on this call? So go ahead and write that down now. And then somewhere near it, um, write down one thing that you are thankful or grateful for. I, for one, am, um, I'm really thankful. Um, you know, today I've been sitting in a chair listening to people talk all day long. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, going to professional development is hard when you're a professional speaker. Um, and I need to do it because it reminds me uh, what it feels like to sit in that chair. And I'm really thankful that uh, I wasn't alone today, that I got to sit with a friend I've known for several years and just kind of connect and reconnect and uh, she and I were able to, to go and have dinner and have a really great conversation, and it, it kind of made the whole day worth it. So I'm, I'm just really thankful for that. Um, as I was driving home tonight and, um, you know, thinking about having to go back to uh, the training for one last full day tomorrow, um, I was getting kind of down, and then I thought, oh, wait, I get to sit with my friend. And so that just makes my heart happy. And you know, anytime that you think about things that you're thankful for, you're grateful for, um, it not only makes life bearable, um, it gives you hope, uh, but it really just opens up your mind and you can see choices. Um, you become aware of things that you weren't aware of before. Okay? All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, so we're talking about connectors connect on common ground. You know, if I had to pick a first rule of communication, really the thing that um, opens the door to connections with other people, it would have to be this idea of um, connecting on common ground. Um, and quite frankly, this applies regardless of who you're trying to connect with, you know, whether you're at home or you're at work you know, your spouse, your children, your employees, um, your coworker, your boss. Um, and it really transcends all types of communication. So whether you're leading a meeting or speaking on a stage or selling a product or even, you know, writing a blog or a book, it, it you got to have common ground. 
Um, I did a teaching a while back, and if you're interested, you can always email me at growbyone at gmail.com, and I'll send it right to you. Um, but it's talking about – it's a one-hour call, and it goes through some basics on uh, building rapport. So understanding that um, when two people feel like they are alike, so this idea of common ground – um, a rapport is built, this connection. And when you have a rapport, um, you can do so much more. Uh, the opposite of having a rapport is um, resistance. And so if you think about this process, have you ever tried to help another person um, go through a change? So, uh, for example, maybe you're giving them, uh, quote, unquote, free advice, right? Um Maybe it's your spouse, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt what it's going to take to make that change possible, and you try to tell them, and then what happens? <laughs> right. You're probably thinking the same thing I am. Yeah, because nobody likes free advice, right? Yeah, um, especially children, right? If, if you uh, tell them what to do and they're having a temper tantrum, that's their way of showing you you don't have rapport for whatever reason in that moment, okay? So rapport is this, uh, it's a result of two people being on common ground in that moment, okay? So we're really going to go over several things, um, several ways that you could do that tonight. So connecting, really, if this is all you get from this call tonight, connecting is all about other people okay see the problem is when we're trying to give free advice we are thinking about our way and wanting that person to do it our way when in reality connecting is about the other person um, it's really difficult to find common ground with other people when the person that you're focused on is yourself or your own goal Okay, so let me just give you an example of how this works um, from a, a training or speaking standpoint. Um, so I'm, I'm involved in, in this training right now. Um, today was one full day. Tomorrow will be another full day. Uh, and I truly believe that the trainers are doing the best they can with what they have and what they know um, and that their intent is all positive. And... Sitting through the training, I realize in all of their intentionality, they haven't thought about this idea of common ground, and they haven't really thought about what do my attendees need. They thought more along the lines of this is the result we want at the end of this training. Now, let's talk about that for just a little bit. It is not wrong or bad to want a result. That is not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm just saying there's two different ways of looking at this. The lower level is focusing on just the result that you as the trainer or speaker want. The higher level is focusing on not only trying to get to that outcome, but also trying to do it in a way that your audience feels valued, okay? Um, the lowest level is pretty easy, although if you haven't built rapport, you're going to have resistance. And that is one thing that I'm noticing from the crowd of people that I'm, I'm sitting with. There's a lot of people who are disengaging from the process in various ways, because they don't feel valued, they don't feel heard, they don't feel respected. Many of them already understand the information that's being presented. They would just like it presented in a different way, a quicker way, and then more of a discussion, okay? They don't want to be lectured to. They want to be, um, you know, when you're in a full-day training, you don't have to share everything you know, right? You can, you know, share several things and then have activities and discussion and um, different things around that so that everybody feels like, you know, they've been heard. So it's not bad to want results, 
but who are you focusing on? Are you focusing on your results or your audience's results? Okay. The same thing applies when you're in a leadership position, and let's say you're walking somebody through a change, right? Uh, maybe they're not following the rules, or maybe they're um, in need of some correction, okay? Um, are you coming in and telling them what to do, or are you starting on this place of, hmm, I wonder what it is that they want? Okay, so seek to understand first before you try to make a change. All right, I think you really begin to understand others better when you understand yourself, right? But to grow to another level, you have to work at understanding other people. So, you know, one thing that we talked about, you remember way back when, it seems like forever ago now, doesn't it? Um, about seven weeks ago, I think it was on the first call that we did in this group, we talked about the DISC personality, um, the DISC personality profiles. So this is a way, obviously, to understand yourself, right, to know who you are. That's always the first place. Um, and to understand others and really act and communicate based on how they are wired, okay? So you might have that, um, let's say, an S-type personality, which is very supportive, right? Um, it's the S-type person is usually reserved and people-oriented, so they love to sit and have a long conversation, a deep conversation, right? And maybe your employee or your boss is a D-type personality, where the D-type personality is more um, outgoing and task-oriented, very driven, kind of demanding, right? They're short in their communication, like let's just get to the point, right? And so when you have somebody who is an S and somebody who's a D, somebody in that uh, relationship, that interaction, needs to give a little. So who who is it? Who gives a little? Well, the person with more awareness. So, for example, if you are the S-type personality and you you know about DISC, you've been trying to understand yourself and understand others, and the person you're dealing with is a D-type personality and has none of that training, then the responsibility for communication really lies with you, okay? Because you know about yourself, you're trying to know about them. You see what I'm saying? So when you're having this type of interaction, you don't communicate based on how you are wired. You try to communicate based on how they are wired. So as much as you'd like to sit down and have a conversation and really flesh something out, you got to understand that's not who they are. So keep your communication brief and, you know, go from there. This is a great way to build that rapport. Um, because even though you are wired differently, when you communicate like the D, it shows the D that we are alike. And it's kind of like opening the door and inviting them into what you want, which is a further conversation. Now, they may not walk in that door, but if you were to communicate as you are wired, there's no way that they're even going to see the door. Okay? Um the same thing is true with opposite personalities like the I-type personality, which is inspirational, um, very people-oriented, think, you know, life of the party, right? Um, and the C-type personality, which is very cognitive, right? Very, very reserved but task-oriented, loves their data, their research, right? Um, you get the I-type personality, which is a little more illogical, with the C-type personality, which is everything having to do with logic, right? And they can have misunderstandings. And so when you're together, let's say you are the I-type personality, and let's say you have a C-type employee. Okay, you need to understand that when you come in and you, you know, are, are all about the fun or, or you're telling a story because, you know, you're going to talk about feelings and these kinds of things. Um, that employee is so put off by that. 
And it's not, you know, they're not offended or anything. It's just that's not how they communicate. Um, but if you can come in and you can ask them for help to, you know, do some research or to look into something for you, man, they're going to be your best buddy. They're going to be a partner, a great partner for you. Okay? So, again, who has the responsibility for kind of giving a little in that? The one with the more awareness. Okay? So one of the things that I would love to have seen in this training today was the trainers to really not just look at kind of multiple learning styles, um, but to look at personality styles and realize that for some of us, sitting at a table and listening for two hours straight without talking to another person is not good for us. Okay? All right. So there's um, there's a book out there. The author, I believe, is Terry Felber. Don't ask me how to spell it. I just remember that that's what it is. And it's called Am I Making Myself Clear? Okay, so it's all about communication. And he says that people have different representational systems based on the five senses, five senses which provide the primary basis for their thoughts and feelings. Okay, so for example, if several people walk down the beach together, their um, memories of the experience are going to be very different based on this representational system, right, how they view the world. So one might remember how the sun felt on his skin and the sand on his feet, while somebody else remembers how the water looked and maybe the sunset, right? Um, And the third might be able to describe the sounds that they hear or maybe the smells that they they smell. So each of us creates really um, kind of a framework for the way that we process information. So in the book, Felber says, if you can learn to pinpoint how those around you experience the world and really try to experience the same world they do, you'll be amazed at how effective your communication will become. And that is simply another way to look for common ground. Um, One thing I do when I'm working with coaching clients, especially as I'm getting to know them, is I I really think about the words that they're using. Um, And I'll write down key words that they say. Um, So, for example, if somebody says, oh, my gosh, I saw this person the other day, or, uh, man, I, I, I really have a vision for... Or they say, um, you know, I, I, I was driving down the road and I was looking at this sign and this is what I saw. Did you hear any key words in there? There were several that were related to seeing or vision. So that keys me into this person is probably seeing the world through their vision, Right. Um, but I've also been with clients and I've heard tons of things around feelings and I go, ooh, so feelings are really important to them. Okay? So when you try to understand, you know, basically you're trying to figure out like, what's the prescription of glasses that they use to see the world in? Okay? So you're really trying to catch clues. Okay? So I'm going to share with you four barriers to finding common ground. So the four things that really get in the way of doing that. Um, I'm hoping to get through, um, there's another section on choices to develop a common ground mindset. Okay. I'm hoping to get through all eight, but if I don't, I don't. Um, So let's just talk about the barriers to finding common ground. So people who connect are always searching for common ground. Um, That probably seems really obvious because all positive relationships are built on common interests and values. They really build upon um, agreement, not disagreement. Uh, But if that's true, why do so many people neglect to search for common ground and build upon it? Well, there's four of them that are the main things we're going to talk about tonight. So the first one is um, assumption. 
Okay, assumption. So this really says, I already know what others know, feel, and want. Okay, so assuming that you have all the answers. Um, all the miscommunications are the result of differing assumptions. Haven't you found that to be true? I mean, sometimes the results can be tragic, right? Or sometimes they're just downright funny. Um, this was a, a, an example that was shared with me. It's a case um, of a, a traveler between flights at an airport. So she went to a lounge and bought a small package of cookies and then sat down to read a newspaper. She became aware of a rustling noise and looked to see a near, neatly dressed man helping himself to the cookies. She didn't want to make a scene, so she leaned over and took a cookie herself, hoping he would get the message. As time passed, she thought she had been successful, but then she heard more rustling. She couldn't believe it. He was helping himself to another cookie. There was only one cookie left. While she watched in disbelief, the man broke the remaining cookie in two, pushed half across to her, and popped the other half into his mouth and left. Now, she was furious sometime later when her flight was announced. When she opened her handbag to get her ticket, imagine how shocked and embarrassed she was when she looked there and found her pack of unopened cookies. Can you imagine? <laughs> so, you know, like that woman, don't you, didn't you assume that the man was, you know, helping himself to the woman's cookies? Um, that's the first thing that I thought when I heard the story, and that tells a lot about ourselves. Too often we've been guilty of making assumptions about people, right? Um, making generalizations, right, instead of observations. Why do we do that? I, I think it's it's because it's easy to label people and then see them only in that light. Think of a time when you were maybe labeled for maybe a, a characteristic or a value that you have. But that didn't tell the whole story, did it? No. We need to remember that all generalizations are false, including this one. Once a person has been placed neatly within a certain box, it becomes difficult for us to think of them as being anything different. Right? Instead, we need to be like a good tailor. Um, every time he sees a client, he takes new measurements. He never assumes people are the same as the last time he saw them. Man, that would be really cool, right? Um, I, I actually was hanging out with a bunch of people this weekend, and some of them I haven't seen for years. And very few of us ha are the same as we were several years ago. Now, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who's the same, and then I wonder, like, oh, what's happened or not happened in your life in several years to make you the same, right? But I know enough about people because I've been around enough people and kind of in this vein of finding common ground and things for a while um, that I'm always looking for new insights that people can give me. Because I know that myself, I am growing and learning. And I'm not the same as I was several years ago. So I don't want to be treated the same as I was then. Okay? So do you make assumptions about people, you know, based on their background, their profession, their race, their gender, their age, nationality, politics, faith, or other factors? You know, I was talking to somebody today in this training, actually a couple of us um, were talking and um, uh, two of us are independent trainers. So we go out and kind of do our own thing. And this other person is more connected to kind of larger institutions. And we were talking about the stigma there is sometimes um, that those of us who are doing our own trainings have, um, well, first of all, just that, that we're teaching, but we're not teaching in a classroom setting. Um, we're not at a, um, a higher education institution. And this person was shocked, like literally shocked um, to find out that, that there's this kind of bias. And I said, oh, yeah. And then if you're 
you're out doing trainings on your own, not within an education um, institution, yeah, the, you're looked at very differently. And you could tell that that, that thought never, ever entered her mind. Um, and it kind of surprised me for a minute. And then I thought about it, like, why would it enter her mind? You know, it's not part of her world. It's not something she lives like this other person and I do. Okay, she doesn't understand that that's kind of a um, uh, an assumption or a bias on other people's parts that if we're not within an organization that, you know, we're somehow less than. Okay? Whenever you're quick to have make assumptions about people, you stop paying attention to the people and miss the clues that would otherwise help you find and reach common ground with them. Okay? If you hear only a single story about another person or country, you risk a critical misunderstanding. Because we might assume that it tells the whole story about that person or country, and then you close your minds on learning more about them. And when that happens, you almost impossible to find common ground. Okay? So keep an open mind. Try to check your assumptions. And please don't say that you don't have any. That's kind of like saying I have an unbiased opinion. That's an oxymoron. You can't actually have an unbiased opinion because if you have an opinion, by definition, it's biased. Okay? All right, number two. Um, The second barrier is arrogance. Arrogance. I don't need to know what others know feel, or want. Arrogance. So um, arrogant people seldom meet others on common ground because they don't make the effort. They really believe that they shouldn't have to, right? Because in their opinion, they live on higher ground than others. (laughs) So they don't want to have to lower themselves to other people's level. They really expect everyone else to make the effort to come to them. Do you know people like this? Maybe you work with people like this? Okay. Well, one of the secrets of getting along with others is taking into consideration other people's views. So Supreme Court Justice Louis D. Brandeis observed, nine-tenths of the serious controversies that arise in life result from misunderstanding. From one man not knowing the facts, which to the other man seem important, or otherwise failing to appreciate his point of view. Isn't that the truth? Um, I love the the one cartoon. Um, it's got two two guys, and there's a number on the ground. And they're standing on different sides of this number. And one guy looks at it and sees a number nine. Well, the other guy looks at it and sees a number six. And so one's saying nine and the other one's yelling six. And you look at it and say, which one's right? Well, both of them and neither of them. Um, it, you know, it, it's a great uh, vision of perspective, right? Again, you know, Think about that representational system. We all see the world in a different way. And so if I come in and I ask you, what's your experience here? And you tell me, and I tell you, no, that's not true. It's this. Well, it's just like that cartoon, right? And so I have to keep an, keep an open mind about this. So as I'm in this training, you know, today and, and, and tomorrow, I have been checking myself um, to make sure that I still have a good attitude, that I'm not distracting other learners, because even though I'm struggling, I know my friend is struggling. I know many people at our table are struggling. I have to believe in a, a size of 130 people in the room that somebody's really getting something out of this training. And so I don't want to detract from that, okay? Um, So I'm keeping an open mind that other people might be 
um, feeling or wanting something different than me, okay? I also have to keep in mind that the trainers may not have the same representational system that I do about this work. And so I have to respect them and under, try to understand where they're coming from. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, most people try to build a case for their competence or their viewpoint when they communicate. Okay. Just So just understand that, that, you know, some people are, are trying to, they're trying to show you how much they know or they're trying to show you their opinion. Or, or convince you of their opinion. Now, some people like to debate. I, for one, do not. Um, I love to hear other people's opinions, but I don't want to debate it. Uh, so totally up to you. Um, but really, meet them on common ground. What do they want? Okay. Um, you can't build a relationship with everybody in the room if you don't care about anybody in the room. Okay, so when you're trying to find common ground, start with the people that you care about first or can care about quickly. Okay? All right, so the third barrier to communicate to um, common ground is indifference indifference. So this really says, I don't care to know what others know, feel, or want. So you just don't care to know. Uh, comedian George Carlin joked, scientists announced today that they had found a cure for apathy. However, they claim no one has shown the slightest bit of interest in it. <laughs> That's really what we're talking about. Um, that can be said of some people when they communicate, right? They may not feel superior to their listeners, but they don't go out of their way to learn about them either, right? And sometimes it's because it just takes a lot of work. Um, I experienced this at one point this weekend when I was doing this three-day event. Um, for the most part, I was doing pretty good. Uh, there was a, a, a time on Sunday afternoon, though, when I became very tired. And in my very tired state, there was an interaction that was happening between me and another person, and I wasn't feeling it. Um, I, quite frankly, I just did not care. And it wasn't that I didn't care about the person or this interaction, and I ended up later on in the evening actually, you know, apologizing to this person, but... It was in that moment I had my own issues and needs going on, and I really didn't care in that moment, okay? Um, some people don't care because it takes a lot of work. If they have a certain personality type like the, um, the task-oriented folks, right, like the D-type person, they don't want to take time to get to know you. They just want the results. And the C-type person, it's not that they don't like you, it's just that they're more comfortable with their numbers or statistics than they are with people. Okay? There's a, um, a saying I love by Nelson Mandela. He said, if you talk to a man in the language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. And he's really talking about um, not language, but connecting. Um, you know, you can you can talk to somebody and think that they understand, but when you try to find common ground, you'll know. You'll both feel it. Okay. So the bottom line is that indifference is really a form of selfishness. A communicator who is in, indifferent is focused on himself and his own comfort instead of extending himself and finding the best way to relate to others. If you have a hard time connecting with people because you haven't made the effort to get to know them, then think about the words that George Eliot said. 
Try to care about something in this vast world besides the gratification of small, selfish desires. Try to care for what is best in thought and action. Something that is good apart from the accidents of your own lot. Look on others' lives besides your own. See what their troubles are and how they are born. So, really make an effort, no matter how small, to see things from another person's point of view. Okay? If this isn't something that you are practicing or trying to be more intentional about, I would highly encourage you that this is where you need to start for your homework. Okay? If you're having an issue with an employee, stop and think about what does this look like from their point of view. I regularly do this with my kids. If I'm having something where I need to kind of talk to them about something, I stop and try to think about, okay, you know, where are they at developmentally, you know, on their DISC personality. I do think about that. Also kind of love languages, you know. So this is this is kind of what Nelson Mandela said. You're trying to find the language that speaks to his heart, right? So it's not just English that I'm talking, but I'm talking to each of one of their language, okay? Um, I do this with my husband all the time, right? Uh, I have the personality that I'm, I'm more of an S-type personality, so I don't want to ever say something that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. When we were first married, um, we actually had to make a rule that when we were in conflict, somebody would say, you know, hey, time out. And time out meant... Uh, we had to take 15 minutes to, you know, go in separate rooms and think, and then we would come back. Now, my husband is an extrovert, so 15 minutes for him is like sheer torture. Um, so we couldn't do it for longer than that. Um, but 15 minutes for me was absolutely essential because in that 15 minutes, I wanted to see, okay, where could he possibly be coming from? What's his point of view in this? How can I understand that a little bit better so that I can come back to the conversation and, you know, approach it differently? Okay? Um, that has really worked for me. It's something that's kind of more ingrained in me now. Um, we don't have to take our timeouts because I kind of can do that during the conversation. Uh, so that might be something you want to start working on as well. Okay, the the last barrier to common ground, number four, is control. Control. So this is, I don't want others to know what I know, feel, or want. I don't want others to know what I know, feel, or want. Kind of putting up that, that boundary, right? Because finding common ground is really a two-way street. It's important to focus on others to understand them, and just as important, it's critical to be open and authentic so that others understand you, right? Of course, not all leaders and communicators are willing to do this. Um, author and former U.S. Navy Captain Mike Abrashoff, I think that's how you pronounce it, observes that some leaders feel that by keeping people in the dark, they maintain a measure of control. But that is a leader's folly and an organization's failure. Secrecy spawns isolation, not success. Knowledge is power, yes, but what leaders need is collective power, and that requires collective knowledge. I found that the more people knew what the goals were, the better buy-in. I got and the better results we achieve together. Think about that. Have you ever worked in an institution or organization that was run by politics where, you know, you have the power because you know information that other people don't? I know I have, and I can tell you that is some of the scariest places I've ever worked. Um, 
and it's not safe, and it's not fun, and it's not open, um, and it's not a growth environment. I love what I do, and the majority of what I do, even on this call, right, is just being real and honest, open and genuine. I have very few secrets in my life, and usually the secrets I have, quite frankly, are other people's secrets, okay? Um, as a coach, you know, I have a lot of secrets because I have a lot of confidentiality agreements. Um, but those those are pretty much the only secrets in my life. Uh, one thing that I've been challenged by my mentor lately to do is, um, many of you have heard me speak in person so you understand this, you know, when you share a success, People are like, woo that's great. I'm glad you did that, right? When you share a failure, something you failed at, and then you were able to succeed, people can connect with that. They go, oh, yeah, man, if she screwed that up, then there's hope for me, right? And then there's a higher level where you realize, you know, it's easier sometimes to talk about a failed a failure from like 10 years ago, right? Because I'm way beyond that. I've grown like, oh, it's no big deal, right? But what about sharing a current failure? So like this is how I'm currently screwing this up. It's a whole nother level of vulnerability. Um, but I, I, I'm really taking a liking to it because, you know, I think about it that, you know, there's power in saying, hey, I'm dealing with this with this now too. You want to work on this together? You know, then it's more like a partnership, right? Just a thought. Um, so C. Hannon points out that if you go the next step, if you go the next step, results can be even better. Um, Hannon says, if you explain why and the reason behind it and for it, it not only helps others to understand the purpose, but it allows them to buy into the vision and be a part of it. Then you can work together. So really explaining the why rather than just the what and the how. So perfect example, um, you know, we have regular talks with our kids about, you know, where we're going, what we're going to do when we get there, you know, what are the expectations from them, um, and we've been adding in why. Why is it important that when we go to this meeting and you come with us that you're on your best behavior? And so we'll just ask them what they think. And oftentimes they've got it, right? Um, there was one meeting we took them to not too long ago, and we said, you know, why do you think it's important? And they gave us, you know, some pretty general answers. And I said, you know what? I'll tell you why. There are three ladies that are going to be in this meeting. And they are all very hard of hearing. And they may or they may not have their hearing aids in. So when we go to this meeting at this particular building, it's very hard for them to hear. And my nine-year-old piped up and she said, oh, so if we're loud, they won't be able to participate. And I said, you got it. Now, up until that point, they probably just thought we were telling them to be quiet because we don't want them to talk. No, that's not necessarily true. The reason behind it is because if they do, they're going to interrupt somebody else, okay? It's very simple, but I promise you, when we were done with that meeting, those kids were the quietest they've ever been because they knew the purpose behind it, okay? This works with employees, too, right? Um, Anytime employees sense that information is being kept from them and they don't have a part in achieving the organization's goals, they feel like outsiders, okay? When this happens, their morale drops, and so does their performance. Um, likewise, when audience members sense that a speaker is holding back or prides himself on being on the inside but doesn't include the audience, people feel alienated, right? This happened to me not too long ago. I had um, uh, was speaking at a conference. I was doing a, a breakout session. Um, somebody else was doing the keynote presentation. She, she had been brought in from out of state. Um, great presentation. Uh, and she and I connected after, and we kind of talked big ideas back and forth. I was challenging on her, her on a few things. 
she was challenging me on a few things, but it was this great kind of, it wasn't a debate necessarily, but it was definitely a great discussion. Um, and at the end of it, and I, un, unbeknownst to me, she had sat through my breakout session and she said, oh my gosh, I so enjoyed it. And so we were talking about that as well. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm with a lot of trainers. I go to a lot of events. Um, and she says, you know, one thing I really appreciated about you is that you gave me so much to chew on and you invited me on a journey with you, but you didn't sell yourself. And I said, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean? And she said, Oh my goodness, when I'm with these other trainers, I hear, um, you know, every, every third sentence is some buy this or, or, you know, check out my book or whatever. And I said, well, you know, I guess it's because I adopted this idea a long time ago that when I come to speak, it's all about the audience. What do they need? Uh, and I told her a couple things and she said, oh my goodness, I'm going to go ahead and adopt those. I said, by all means, do. Um, that's really what we're talking about here. Um, I'm not like some of those speakers where I'll give you a little bit and then say, oh, you got to go buy my book. Like that's withholding information, right? Um, I'm also not like those speakers who say, oh, let me tell you all about my successes. No, I actually, in, in just about every um, outline that I put together for any training, I include very specific intentional places for me to um, include stories about my failures in there because I know that adds it adds value to the group, okay? All right, so those are the four barriers to common ground. I spent way more time in that than I uh, would have liked, um, but one thing I will do is as we're going through the next, oh, uh, 10 minutes or so, um, I'm going to share with you um, these eight choices to developing a common ground mindset. I'm going to go pretty quickly. Okay, so get your pencil ready or you can put down, um, we're at about minute 47, so a minute 47 on the recording so you can come back to it later if you'd like. All right. So, most people believe that finding common ground with others is a matter of talent, right? Some people are, are just good at it and others aren't. Um, I don't necessarily agree that everyone starts out with the same ability to connect because remember our disc personalities, right? Some people have a little easier time than others. Um, but I also believe that connecting is a choice. So it, that means it's a mindset and it can be learned. So if you want to increase your odds of connecting with others, here's a few choices. So the first one is availability. So this means I will choose to spend time with others, okay, that you will make yourself available because common ground must be found and it takes time to do that, okay? So you've got to put some time into this. So you can't, if you're a task-oriented person, you're going to have to make this a task actually getting out and having conversations. And availability also requires intentionality, okay? So you have to make sure that um, it's as simple as when I go to, to an event, I always want to get there early so I can connect. Or when um, I'm at this training today and, and tomorrow, um, I, on breaks or during lunch, I always make sure that I sit next to somebody and have a conversation intentionally. I'm trying to use all my skills on communication rather than checking out or, um, you know, going to make a phone call or responding to emails, okay? The second choice is listening. I will listen my way to common ground, okay? You need to learn to listen. How else are you going to know what to look for? Okay. So, again, we talked before about how you could do a, um, a listening audit, kind of keeping in mind, you know, pick out an hour or two during the day and try to determine how many minutes do you talk and how many minutes do you listen. Okay. Listening really requires giving up our favorite human pastime, which is involvement in ourselves and our own self-interest. That's what you're doing here, okay? 
Um, next is questions. So de decide, determine that I will be interested enough in others to ask questions. Um, Peter Drucker, which I love his work. He was really the father of modern management. Um, so talking about leadership within businesses and organizations. And he said, my greatest strength as a consultant is to be ignorant and ask a few questions. So, again, never assuming, right, asking a bunch of questions. If you'd like um, a, a jump start in the question area, I would highly recommend John Maxwell's book, Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. Uh, it's been highly influential in helping me uh, come to this understanding of how important questions are. Okay. If you aren't especially outgoing or have a difficult time asking questions, you can use a trick that many people use in, in the sales world. Um, if you remember the, the word form, F-O-R-M, um, it stands for family, occupation, recreation, and message. So when you ask questions centered around these topics, it's really amazing how much you can learn about a person and how quickly you can get to know them. So just ask about their family, ask about their work, um, ask about what they do for play, ask about, you know, um, what they're passionate about. Um, or my favorite question when I don't know what else, what keeps you busy? That'll give you lots of data, okay? The next one is thoughtfulness. I will think of others and look for ways to thank them. Okay, that's pretty self-explanatory, but when you do that, you create common ground. The next one is openness. I will let people into my life. Openness. This one may be hard for you. That's okay. We do hard things here, don't we? Okay, maybe look for some place this week where you can let somebody into your life. Now, that doesn't mean you have a new best friend, but could you share an example with somebody or ask a question from somebody? Um, or for me, one thing that I've been challenged with is to ask for help more, right? Just to come to somebody and say, man, I need some help in this area. Can you help me out? Okay. The next decision is likability. Likability. So you can choose to care about people. You know, it's this weird thing, but people like people who like them, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? Um, the most influential factor in public speaking is likability. Um, the, the presenters doing this training, you know, they're likable people. I, I like them. I'm still listening because I, I like them. When you're a likable expert, people will listen. Um, if people like you, they will listen to you. And if they don't, they won't. So how does a person become likable? Well, the easiest way is by caring about other people, right? People like people who like them. And when others know you care, they'll listen. Uh, just think about that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Think about maybe some of your your um, past favorite teachers that I bet your favorite teacher was very likable. Um, which neighbors do you remember best from your childhood? Were they likable? Uh, how about your schoolmates or your relatives? What about your favorite boss, right? Chances are all of those people were likable. It's a highly attractive quality to possess, and it causes others to want to connect with you, okay? Um, another one is humility. I will think of myself less so I can think of others more. Humility. Um, my favorite definition of humility is knowing who you are, knowing who you're not, 
and knowing where all of that comes from. So understanding these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, and I've been wired this way. Okay? So again, thinking about DISC. We don't go around the world and say, oh, everybody has to be a D-type personality because I am. No, no. (laughs) I think, God, that we only have 10% of people who are a D-type personality because that could be hard on a person, right? And then the next one is adaptability. I will move from my world to theirs. I will move from my world to theirs. So, again, looking at things from their point of view. Okay? All right. So, connecting, um, connectors connect on common ground. Know the reasons you and your listener want to communicate and build a bridge between them. That's really the, the key concept that we're getting at. Why are both of you connecting and build a bridge? Okay? So um, here is your homework for the week. The first thing as far as um, one-to-one interactions, this is very simple this week. Try to find common ground with every interaction possible. Okay? Now, you're probably going to screw them up, at least one of them, because that's how, how this goes if you've not done this before. But really challenge yourself with all of the interactions that you have this week um, to try to find common ground. Just see what you can find, okay? Um, if you're working with a group, like leading a meeting or something, um, just ask yourself, you know, what what brings us together today? That's really a good starting point. Um, what is one goal we can all agree on, right? Um, because the goal is more important than your role. That'll help you kind of step out of that, like, I'm the boss kind of thing. Um, what's the goal we're all here for? Uh, and, and then celebrate the wins of the group together. So maybe you've had some pretty significant wins or even, even little wins, right? Um, one thing I used to do as a staff uh, when we would have staff meetings is every person in the room had to share some sort of win. Um, big win, little win, didn't matter what, but they had to show me some sort of a win. It creates a new energy within your group, and it also um, helps kind of set that stage of like, hey, we're all winners here. And then when you can connect it to kind of what you're going to be talking about, even better. Okay? Um, if you're working with an audience, and I know a couple of people here are because you've kind of reached out to me and asked me some questions, um, there's two different kinds of audiences. There's a happy audience and a hostile audience. So let me explain those. A happy audience is more like an audience that you know, okay? A hostile audience is not like, you know, people who are going to fight you or anything. They just might have some resistance, right? Maybe they... They don't want an outsider to come in and talk to them. Or maybe um, maybe they're a bunch of engineers and you don't have a degree and they just have resistance there, okay? So there's four Fs I want you to focus on. The first is feel. Try to sense what they feel and acknowledge their feelings. The second is felt. Share with them how you have felt the same way. So if they're feeling overwhelmed, share with them how you have been overwhelmed. Um, The next one is found. Share with them what you have found has helped you. So I, I too, have felt overwhelmed when this happened. Um, This has helped me. And then find. Offer to help them find help for their lives. So feel, felt found, find. I can tell you guys are overwhelmed and uh, you're just at your wit's end today. I can tell this. Um, I have felt that way before. Man, just last week I was in a training and I felt that way. One thing I found that helped me was to focus on the one thing I'm grateful for. I really want to help you find something that's going to add value to you today. You see how we did that? very simple, only takes about a minute. 
So if you're working with an audience, try to think through how you might do this quickly during your introduction, okay? And, of course, feel free to email me, um, text, reach out. I would love to kind of be a thinking partner with you, okay? All right, I am holding an image of you increasing your ability to positively communicate with your family, friends, children, and coworkers, intentionally growing yourself and others, increasing an influence in your home and workplace, and strengthening relationships to build a brighter future. So with that, I release you into the wild. Go forth and prosper. Have an amazing week, and we will chat next week. All right. Bye-bye.